Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's podcast, I want to talk about the giveaway. We reached a thousand plays sooner than I thought we would. (laughs) So last week I said I would announce the winner on June 15th in that episode, but I am moving that up. So I will be announcing the winner in next week, June 8th podcast episode. So if you want to enter the giveaway, make sure you enter by June 4th or maybe the 5th. Um, So in order to enter the giveaway, all you have to do is go over to iTunes, leave a review for this podcast, and that is all you got to do. But sometimes there is a lag, so get your review in sooner rather than later so that it will show up by the time that I am recording the winner, which will be on June 7th. So get your review in, and as a reminder, if you enter this giveaway, you have the option of winning your choice of one of my self-directed running programs. So that will be ready to run or ready to build any of my merch. I have tees, crop tops, and mugs, a free one-hour coaching call. Or if you are currently working with me, one of my one-on-one coaching athletes, you can get a free month of coaching. So please get your reviews in for this exciting giveaway. And yeah, thank you all for listening and growing the podcast. This is so exciting and I am so excited to bring more interviews like the one you're going to hear today with my physical therapist, Sarah Cheskeen. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to another week of the podcast. I'm joined by another guest this week and this week I have a physical therapist with me. Her name is Sarah Cheskeen and she's actually my physical therapist. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I'm super excited to be here. Or Coach Clutch. I should call you Coach Clutch. (laughs) Either one works. (laughs) But yeah, it's been highly requested that I interview a physical therapist. So very exciting. All right. right. That's a lot of pressure. I know. Don't let anyone down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be great. But I figure where we can start is a little bit about you and your background because you're also a runner. And then just going over like, what is a physical therapist and when should you see them versus like a chiropractor, massage therapist? There's a bunch of you out there and I don't really know how to differentiate, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that question. Um, All of those questions. I'll start with who I am, I guess. Uh, I am a runner and then ran like a fun run in college like my sophomore year of college, I did like a 5k. It's one of the color runs. I don't know if you've ever done yet. I haven't, but they look really fun. They're so much fun. They're so much fun. And I remember, um, thinking that I was going to die. I was like, I had never run three miles before. I was like, this is, this is insane, but here we go. And then I ran the whole thing without training, like, (laughs) which I never tell someone to do now, but was making those mistakes. Um, and was like, what the hell I can run three miles what else can I do? This is kind of fun. So I've been running pretty much for a little over 10 years now. 
um, and then moved to Boulder, Colorado. And of course, like you get sucked into mm -hmm. the world of running and it's such a great way. It's been really fun. So yeah. And I'm a physical therapist in Boulder. Um, and so what a physical therapist is, that's such a interesting question. Physical therapists are also multifaceted like runners are, um, in that, like you can, you can work in a lot of settings and do a lot of different things. Um, so there's like physical therapists that work in hospitals and work with patients at hospitals. There's physical therapists that come to your house and do all sorts of other stuff, but I love and do a little bit more of like the sports medicine mm -hmm. kind of world. So a physical therapist, um, nowadays has to get their doctorate. So they have a lot more, I must consider like physical therapists now to be like primary care mm -hmm. providers. So I'm really like a primary care provider, but in the like musculoskeletal world, I guess. And so people can come see me with an injury or like a musculoskeletal pain um, and get a diagnosis. If they need imaging, I can order an x-ray or an MRI and do that. And then through physical therapy, really what we do is we focus on, okay, how through human movement, can we figure out where this person is having some dysfunction and what what part of this dysfunction is causing their pain? And then how do I reduce that and change it by changing how they're moving? Maybe it's just getting them to be stronger so that the type of movement they're doing feels better and feels strong. It's just doing like a huge puzzle all day long, which is super <laughs> fun. And, and you know, what's interesting. It's especially in the in the space that I'm in for sports medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and I work in a clinic with massage therapists and chiropractors and an acupuncturist and all these things that kind of look the same, but we all come at it with a different eye, you know, like, I guess to be a little general, like chiropractors maybe come at things and they have, uh, an eye for looking at the spine and like, you know, bringing back everything back into spinal alignment, which, uh, yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's, there's that a little bit involved massage therapists, uh, you know, looking more at like trigger points and just working specifically on muscle and fascia tissues. So it really has a lot of overlap as far as what we do. And I think there's not really a wrong place to start, hmm. especially like at the clinic I work in, I work at PR labs in Boulder where there's a bunch of us. And I think, um, there's really not a wrong place to start. So if you started coming to CPT or you started to come see chiropractic, at least to help get you a diagnosis of what's going on. And then, um, you know, is it more of you need a massage to calm down muscle tension? Do you need more of the exercise approach or the rehab approach? Do you need some joints adjusted because there's alignment issues? That's where you can kind of go from there. That has been a ramble. <laughs> so no, that was a great response. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, but I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess another follow-up question, if someone is thinking they want to see a physical therapist or massage therapist or chiropractor, I know in Colorado, we don't have to get a primary care doctor to refer us. In those cases, would you say go to a PT first? Like if you can choose versus going and getting a referral? Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. If you live in a state where you don't have to do that and you just have like direct access, a thousand percent go see a PT. And I think, I mean, I'm biased obviously, but you know, if you're having any sort of injury, especially sports related, like, um, just come see your PT and you can get a diagnosis. You can get imaging if you need it. You can get set on the right path of exercises and hands-on care and stuff like that. I really get that just from seeing you the past few months. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> well, I really like 
our sessions because you do whatever work you need to do on me. And then we usually move to like the weights area and we don't do weights. We usually do the MOBO board, um, which we'll get into later, I'm sure. <laughs> but I like the, like you working on me and then doing some of the exercises with me. Um, this is kind of a tangent, but a lot of us out here are really bad at doing our exercises. <laughs> We've talked about this. So like going to you and doing them ensures that I do it <laughs> and do it right. So yeah, the full package, what you just mentioned, I, I feel a lot. Oh, that's awesome. That makes me really happy to hear. It makes me really happy to hear. So when someone is thinking they want to go see a physical therapist, at what point do you think is the right time to go? Like the first time something starts hurting or after it's been a week or is there a certain time frame or like whenever, as soon as possible? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. It's, uh, it's such a hard question to answer, I think, because it really... Ah, oh, you're tired of me saying this, but it depends, but it depends really on kind of what's going on. And I think, especially maybe let's say an example is after a race, you know, there's going to be all sorts of like things that hurt and niggles that pop up and maybe you give it a week. I, I tend to tell people, you know, give it at least three days, unless you like physically can't walk, you know, and it, we start to get into like the stress fracture world. Like if you wake up out of bed and you are just limping and it's sharp pain or hurts, or there's like numbness and tingling shooting down your leg. Odds are in three days, that's not going to change much. So, if, you know, if it, if it feels pretty severe and it's limiting your ability to even just like stand and walk, I would say as soon as you can mm -hmm. uh, go see somebody's just so that a, we can get your symptoms to calm down and B make sure, you know, make sure we know what it is. Like if it is a stress fracture and it's that severe, you know, do we need to get you in a, in a boot or, you know, any, anything to just protect you while you're living life. But if it's nothing that severe and, and you're able to move around just fine, maybe it just hurts while you're running or you notice it a little bit, but it's not interfering with anything and it's new. I always tell people like, you know, what, give it, give it 48 to 72 hours, like up to three days and three days of like activity modification. So maybe you just don't try to run or it's really easy running or you just cross train for three days and see if it kind of goes away. It's really interesting how things can just kind of go away on their own or they work themselves out. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where it gets, that's where that conversation happens of like, well, is it a niggle or is it an injury? Ah, yeah. I don't know. It's such a fine line. It's such a fine line. And I guess what label you put on it, maybe at the end of the day, doesn't necessarily matter, but yeah. So I usually tell people like to wait a couple of days if it's not bothering you a ton, but if it's concerning you or if it's chronic, so let's say you it did go three days and it's still kind of there, even if it got better, but it's still kind of there. I still think it's a good idea to go see a PT or somebody because you still want to kind of make sure you know what it is or what caused it. Because mm -hmm. two, if it's, if it's still a thing, likely it'll come back or it'll, it, yeah. you know, maybe it like kind of got better. It's still there, but it's, it's not that bad, you know, but then you put more miles on it or whatever, and then it comes back or it's still in the shadows. And now you're starting to like kind of compensate around it without knowing because the human mm. body is crazy intelligent and it will compensate without you knowing. And then all of a sudden, like the other side hurts or what have you. So I guess to answer the question, the sooner, the better, but it's okay to take a couple of days to see if it goes away, especially if it's not bothering you that much. Yeah. Awesome. So that segues us kind of into the next question, which one of my athletes asked, how do you tell the difference between normal aches and pains and something more serious? 
Yeah, that is such a good segue. And I'll be honest, I really think it sometimes is hard to tell, you know, and I think one of the biggest things, like I said before, is how much it's limiting you. You know, if you're, if you're coming out of or waking up and stepping out of bed and it's every step um, and it's not going away or it's fairly constant, like even while you're sitting, there's some throbbiness, not to say that it's more serious, but just that sooner attention should be given to it, like going Mm -hmm. to see someone a little bit sooner. I think that in general could feel normal, especially if they're just like mildly kind of achy because like everything's tired. You put everything into that. Some of that can just be kind of normal because you just ran 20 miles. So uh, things like that. But I, I tend to tell people, you know, as far as like when it becomes something that you should be more concerned about is if the pain is constant, if it wakes you up at night, or if there's a lot of throbbing pain at night, sometimes that can be indicative of a bone injury. If there is like pain that's radiating. So let's say there's something in your hip and all of a sudden it's kind of radiating down towards your knee. You know, we should kind of look at that to see where it's referring from. Is it just muscle tension or is there like something inside your hip or is it, I don't know, coming from another place? Uh, Cause those probably won't go away anytime soon, but, uh, or if there's like something goes numb, numb and tingly, that's something we just want to be cautious of. Just if there is some sort of nerve compression, we don't want the nerve to be compressed for longer than it needs to be. So those are kind of general rules of thumb, numbness and tingling, pain that's radiating to like the next joint maybe. And then if there's pain at rest or it's like bothering you at night or waking you up in the middle of the night, I think is where we can start to be like, okay, I should get this checked out. (laughs) Yeah. Those are great tips. I hear a lot from runners when they do like their longest run of their training block They're like my knees are so sore is this bad I'm just like probably normal <laughs> but <laughs> if you want to see someone you can <laughs> yeah I mean it, it's never it again biased but it's never a bad thing to go see someone and and usually yeah. when those things pop up it is kind of a fatigue situation so maybe you're going and you're like well it's not we don't have to call it an injury, but I would love for my knees to not be that sore <laughs> every time I do a long run. So like what exercises, what can I do to help mitigate that as much as possible is also a great thing to ask and be a little bit more on the preventative side of things. Yeah. yeah I think a common misconception that I've definitely had is like, I shouldn't go see someone until something hurts versus like, I know you've done some posts about getting ready for like trail season and racing season and seeing someone before you start ramping things up and things start hurting. So I think it's a good reminder that you can go literally whenever you want and are able to, and it'll still benefit you. Yeah. I love doing that with people because I think our bodies change so much, you know, all the time, especially, Mm -hmm. yeah, just with stressors in life or changes in jobs or I don't know, whatever we're getting older. And, and so like each year it's kind of like tuning up your car or getting a bike fit once in a while or getting new shoes. And often we change maybe what types of shoes we need or we like, if you're going to head into a training cycle and you have taken some time off, it can be a really nice time to go see a PT or I'll do that with people like, okay, how are things looking? what should we revamp in your strength routine or your mobility routine? Like this left ankle is looking a little stiffer than it did before. Let's take care of that now. Uh, so yeah, it can, it can be a great time to do just like a pre-training cycle check-in. Yeah, I think those are great. And that brings me to another question. Are there any exercises or yeah, let's say exercises that, you think all runners should be doing? I know it's hard to generalize, but 
for the sake of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to say, well, hmm, I'm going to say no, because, because everyone, because everyone is different. And I don't think that there's like one exercise as far as like, Mm -hmm by nature of just choosing an exercise that's good for everyone. But I do think for runners, it's hitting certain areas of the body or just checking in on things and, and meaning like, what do we need to be a good runner? If I could equate it to another sport, like let's say we're all playing basketball. If I want everyone to be really good at basketball, I want them all to practice dribbling. I want all of them to practice free throw shots. I want all the blah, 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 blah. How you do that maybe doesn't, completely matter so like whatever sort of drills you do to practice those skills great even everybody well a lot of people that play basketball kind of have their own flair with the free throw shot so like however you practice that and make it your own that's how you do it so so really it's okay what sorts of things do we need to be good runners and let's pick whatever exercises feel good to accomplish that so like runners need great ankle mobility by ankle Mm -hmm. mobility I mean like dorsiflexions, how much you can pick up your foot or bend your ankle up. So ankle mobility exercises, making sure we have good range of motion and mobility in our hips, especially like hip extension, getting our leg behind us. And with that mobility, we also need strength. So hip extension mm-hmm. strength is glutes. <laughs> got to find a glute exercise they like to do. <laughs> we also need, you know, really good quad strength, especially to protect our knees. So quad power, and then also like kind of the eccentric quad strength, because a lot of running, especially downhill is like controlling the descent mm-hmm. of our joints. And I feel like I'm using a lot of jargon. So this maybe isn't a helpful answer, but Again, this is why I think going to see your PT maybe a little sooner just to like, okay, what, what are some exercises we can try together that work for you that are hitting all of these goals? Maybe it'll be helpful if we go through each of those and list off some example exercises people can do. I like to give people, oh man, I'm such a visual person. So it's funny to have to explain these in words, (laughs) but you know, an exercise where you're Usually I like to do this in a standing position because we need ankle mobility in a weight bearing position. So in running, when you hit in stance phase and your foot lands on the ground, and then your shin bone has to translate forward, mm-hmm. that's when your ankle's getting a decent amount of dorsiflexion. So it's really important to work on it then. So I usually have people, you can like put your foot up on a coffee table or a chair. Some people put a band around their ankle just to help mobilize the joint a little bit. And then what you do is you just kind of lunge back and forth through the range that you have and try to feel a stretch at the end when your knees forward over your toes and then relax. Some people will put their foot close to a wall, but far enough away to where as you start to, I guess, kind of squat down and lunge your knee at the wall. You want it to be at a distance to where as your knee approaches the wall, uh, you're feeling a really big stretch in like your Achilles and in your heel. So getting that ankle mobility range while we're kind of, while we're standing on it are some examples. Hip mobility wise, there's some exercises called hip cars, which you can literally type into YouTube, hip space, C-A-R-S. CARS and CARS stands for controlled articular rotations. So really what you do is you in a standing or in like a on all fours position, you take your hip through its entire range of motion. So you bring your knee up and flex your hip. You bring your knee out to rotate it. You bring your knee behind you to get some hip extension, and then you bring it back forward. And the, the whole time you're doing this in a really slow and controlled manner. So you're 
kind of increasing that mobility in all of the places of your joint, but you're also kind of using muscle activation a little bit to, to do that. And it, it's requiring you to stand on one leg. So you get some balance work. You got to use your core. It's kind of a like three for one exercise, if you will. It's one of my favorites to give people as like a, like a pre-run activation or warm up kind of thing. Cause it gets some glute activation. It gets you on one leg to practice, to get some stability, proprioception, warm up, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of rotate your hips. Uh, other exercises that are good, man, there's like, there's so many, you really can't <laughs> do it wrong. Again, it's, that's why it's nice to like go see someone to point you in the right direction for what you need. But yeah, there's so many that I, I don't think there's like the like 10 best. These are the ones you should do, but just hitting all the muscle groups. I do think all runners should be able to do like a hundred calf raises, a <laughs> hundred. Okay. That's not nice. That's so many, maybe, maybe 25 <laughs> start with 25, um, 25 single leg calf raises. And you can like do that while cooking noodles on the stove. I don't know. Just like, it's super easy, mm-hmm. uh, calf strength, especially for like foot and ankle Achilles, you know, stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I actually did some single leg calf raises before we hopped on. Yes. It's gotten worse. Cause I haven't been doing them. So maybe that's why my heels are hurting more. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I was, I was doing really well with it when we first started seeing each other. <laughs> you know, it's like one of the most boring exercises, I will admit. And so and it's, uh, hard. it's, yeah, and they're really hard. That's, that's why I'll, I'll try to incorporate them or like habit stacks, like incorporate them with something else I'm doing Ooh. in the day. So if I'm brushing my teeth, not if, when I brush my teeth, see if I can do calf raises for, you know, a minute on one side and then switch to a minute on the other side you know, kill two birds with one stone, I suppose, because doing them in and of themselves is like boring. And when it becomes a should, I feel like we don't do it myself included. And at the end of the day too, that's like kind of something easy you can throw into your day, but it's also Mm -hmm. really important to incorporate that calf strengthening into really functional things, which Kelly, I feel like you are really good at doing. You should give yourself (laughs) some credit. Um, Thank you. Always (laughs) seeing you like on Instagram doing like, you know, deadlifts or sled pushes you know, stuff mm. that like really incorporates some of that posterior chain strength and sled pushes are awesome. Love. They're my new, like kind of favorite thing to do. They're so fun. They're so fun. And it like is super functional for running. They're similar, but not the same, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hitting all those same muscle groups for sure. Yeah. They're different in like the, um, the type of strength or the amount of power, or maybe you're trying mm. to like control the the speed so there's like an eccentric strengthening happening because you're like working on the the control or the deceleration of stuff but yeah it's basically yeah basically the same those are hard too those are hard (laughs) cool those are some great examples and i think anyone listening can just start to implement them in their own routine which will be helpful um one of my athletes was wondering is it inevitable that we're all going to get injured because it seems like if you run, you're going to get injured at some point. (laughs) (laughs) It does seem that way, doesn't it? I know. And that's such an interesting question because I myself am, am having a, not a hard time, but the words injury prevention, I'm, I'm struggling to define because Mm. I think it's a fool's errand to try to prevent all injuries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cause as we're seeing, they do happen. And so if we 
solely focus on preventing injuries, I, I worry that people become afraid of them. And I think Hmm. fear can exacerbate symptoms a little bit for, for most people, there's a psychological component to some pain. And if, if we're afraid of injury, like, you know, is that going to exacerbate what we're, what we're feeling? I don't know, but but it could. So I, I don't want to say that like it's inevitable and it, it depends on kind of what you define as an injury. Like I think niggles are totally going to happen. Mm-hmm. And what's difficult is as a runner, you're always trying to push yourself. Yeah. And so at what we don't know where that line is a lot of the times, like maybe you're, you're training for the same race again, you're doing the same workout, you know, four weeks before, but maybe at this time now, that work's been really stressful or, you know, you haven't been able to eat your normal nutrition for a couple of days, you know, or, or on the other end of the spectrum, things are going super well. You're pushing yourself hard. You're going to try this one new thing. That's, you know, (laughs) an an extra strain on your body or a new stimulus to your body. Mm -hmm. Something happens. You try a new pair of shoes. A, A lot of things can happen that are out of your control. So I, to answer that question, maybe I already have, but to continue, I guess, um, (laughs) what I've been starting to kind of try to tell people is, you know, like, not that it's inevitable, but I think it's okay. You know, like it's okay. If injuries happen, um, some of them are more serious than others, you know, like stress factors, we obviously want to avoid and we can Mm -hmm. prevent, I think, but you know, if, if you're doing all the right things, like you got good nutrition, you're doing your strength training, you're mobilizing your ankles, like Sarah told you to do on the podcast, (laughs) You're you're doing all these things. And, you know, a niggle pops up or something pops up. Like it's just having all the tools in your toolbox to know how to deal with it and know how to respond to it appropriately. Mm -hmm. Like making sure you're okay with rest and you're having rest days built in. I just listened to your pot, the episodes about mistakes. I was like, (laughs) yes, rest days, rest days. Oh yeah. Um, So like having those set in, having a plan for your rest day. So like, okay, if I have to take off more days of rest, what can I do in those times? I can do some yoga. I can, I don't know, just have something planned for yourself. So then it's not this like super sad situation because rest is okay. And at the end of the day, our bodies make more progress when we rest, you know, and, and maybe it's you, maybe it's you establish care with a PT that you like at the beginning of your cycle. So that if something were to happen or an injury, you know who to go to, you feel really confident they can help you. It just makes the whole injury process feel better and not last as long. I love that. (laughs) I've been injured, quote unquote, a lot, I guess, but going to a PT always makes me feel better because I'm like, I'm working towards a solution, or at least like now I know something to work on. And at the same time, you touched on this, like, I don't really like the concept of injury prevention either, because I feel like, so like as a running coach, it's always making the quote unquote perfect plan. And it's like, it's not always your training plan that makes you injured. And similar with PTs, it's always like, which exercise should I do? It's like, it's not always what exercises you are or aren't doing. It's a lot of other factors that can affect it. And so it's hard to prevent it because you don't know what's causing it most of the time, unless it's, you know, like an ankle sprain, you know, you rolled your ankle at this one instance. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, you're so right. And most of the injuries that, yeah, we have are not from an incident. They're just like overuse or a training error or Mm -hmm. something out of our control. Yeah. Yes. I, I completely agree with you. And it's kind of like, if you, you just got your car cleaned, maybe this is going to be a dumb analogy. You just got your car cleaned and you, you want to prevent it from getting dirty. 
but you really want to go into the mountains on this rugged, like you're an adventurer, but you don't want your car to get dirty. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I, you know, it's like just hard things to prevent. And if you want to get into the sport and you want to push yourself really hard, not to say that like, it's inevitable they're going to happen, but like, it's okay if they do. We, you know, we, we know what to do about them. You have your team, you know, your body, you're okay with rest. You have all the things you need that if it does happen, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And in most scenarios, if you have to take time off, it's like, you know, a couple months max. And if you're running for years, that's such a blip on the whole time span. Yeah. That's really good advice. It really is a small amount Mm -hmm. of time comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. And usually I've seen everyone, not everyone, but I've seen most people come back stronger and like in running, usually they'll shift their focus, maybe to strength training more. And then they're a stronger runner when they come back, or you're just a little smarter or more aware of your body, whatever it is, but it's not usually a a negative. There's a lot of good that comes out of it. You're right. Yeah. Well, that's good to know for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Let's shift to talking about stretching. So yeah, I know stretching is a hot topic right now or has been for a while, but one of my athletes says she likes to do strength instead of stretching. And what are your thoughts on that? Should she be stretching? And I think she's talking about static stretching here, not dynamic. So, okay. Let's yeah, start we there. Can, we can talk about both. Yeah, it is a hot topic. Yeah. I feel like I have to be careful with what I say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that approach. And you know what? There's more and more research coming out about even doing like eccentric strengthening. So a very specific type of strength training where you are kind of putting your tissue under load while it's getting longer, but it's like a strength exercise. So if we were to take a like a deadlift mm-hmm. um, and you focus more on going really slow and controlled on your way down into your deadlift, that is the eccentrically loading your hamstrings. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of research to show that eccentric strengthening actually improves muscle flexibility and muscle length in a little bit more of a healthier and beneficial way than statically stretching something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that there's a lot of benefit to just like kind of doing, trying to work on flexibility through a strength mindset, but I don't necessarily think that static stretching is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there can be a lot of benefit to static stretching depending on your intent with it. So mm-hmm. like I was at a yoga class the other day and yes, I guess we were like statically stretching our quads. I can't remember what the name of the pose was, but it was something where I was feeling the stretch of my quad and we had to sit there for a short amount of time and stretch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in that moment, we're like taking these deep breaths, like deep diaphragm breaths, trying to calm down things and reduce tension. And if you're looking at static stretching as a way to reduce that, like, again, like calming down muscle tension. I think that there can be a lot of benefit to that. Cause at the end of the day, if, if a muscle is truly shortened and a physical therapist can help you kind of assess like, okay, is this muscle truly in a shortened position? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be very strong and powerful. So you can do all the calf raises you want, but it's the muscles too short. I use this equation a lot. And maybe I said this to you, Kelly, but I'm Italian. So it like resonates with me. Uh, muscles to me are like accordions. And so if you like squished an accordion too short, it wouldn't make a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. 
or it would just be really bad noise. Same, <laughs> same with a muscle. If it's too short, it's, it's not going to create the power and the strength that you wanted to create. And same if a muscle is way too long. Like if you overstretch something, uh, similar to like, if I took an accordion and stretched it all the way out, mm-hmm. and then I tried to like quickly bring it together, it's going to make some sort of all wonky noise. I don't know if anyone's ever played an accordion out there. If you want to try, <laughs> that's not a good way to do it. <laughs> But yeah, similarly to muscles, if it's too long, the the different uh, sarcomeres in a muscle or the, the units, the contractile units in a muscle, they're not um, in alignment with each other when the muscle is too long or too mm-hmm. short. So it can't contract like it's supposed to. That was a long-winded answer. But uh, I think then if that muscle is truly just too short, mm-hmm. statically stretching it can be a way to get at it. A lot of the research just shows it's not the best long-term. Like if you're, if you're trying to stretch this muscle for the long-term, I think it's a good idea to just do both. So maybe you're, Hmm. you're doing some static stretching when it's safe to do some static stretching, but you're also doing some strength training, you know, with, with some of these hot topics, I think what we have to remember is most of the time it's not this or that. Yeah. It's never do this, always do this, avoid this, only do this. It's both of these things have purpose when you just break them down into what they are and what Mm -hmm. they do, but it's doing them all together in a way that works for you. That makes sense. I feel like in this day and age of social media, it's very common to have the this or that, or do not do this, do this just for like the clickbait. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But that's never, that's never, I don't want to say the right answer. Sometimes it might be, but in most cases, it's more of a gray area, not a black and white thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And again, like we say this all the time, but maybe we forget the truth of it. Like literally everybody is different and mm-hmm. what works for me may not work for you and vice versa. And so it's always okay to try things. And if, if, if for the athlete that you have that really uses strength training as a way to keep your muscles limber and stuff like that, and it works for her sweet. That's awesome that she's doing strength training regularly. Kudos. <laughs> yeah. She loves it. It's yeah. great. <laughs> I'm not a stretcher, but this reminds me of, I think it was the first time I came to see you and you were testing my hamstrings. <laughs> you were very impressed with how far you could push my leg. <laughs> and it's only because I do deadlifts and RDLs and that's it. <laughs> Cause I didn't used to be that flexible. So, so proof. Proof yeah. for you that uh, my end of one, <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it was true. I was very impressed. <laughs> yeah, you're like, can I keep pushing this? <laughs> oh, no one comes in here with these kind of hamstrings. Okay, okay. <laughs> I know. And then you move down to my ankles, and you're like, oh, okay. Oh, here it is. <laughs> Here's the shortcoming. <laughs> <laughs> so, if someone were to want to static stretch, is there a best time to do it in relation to a run or time of day? Or is it just like whenever works best for them? Yeah. Yeah. I think whenever, whenever works best for them, most of the, most of the research and kind of rule of thumb is to try not to statically stretch when you're cold or like when Mm -hmm. your muscles are just not warm, um, that can create um, you know, little micro tears or more tears in the muscle when we're statically stretching or just be uncomfortable and, and not be behooving. They tend to say more research, although again, it's kind of back and forth, but there is more research that shows just like only statically stretching something before a workout 
and a workout usually involves like some sort of high intensity or plyometric kind of power aspect mm -hmm. that stretching it will reduce its capacity to do so. So if you only like, if you just statically stretched your calves for a couple minutes and then you tried a long jump or a high jump, there's research to show that like that static stretch again, cause if you, if you over lengthen it and now mm -hmm. the contractile units can't come together, it reduces your power output. So, uh, if you, if static, if statically stretching feels really good before you go for a run, you know, maybe, maybe just do a little bit of foam rolling before you do that, like warm up the localized temperature and get the muscles warm a little bit and then stretch. You'll probably get more benefit, um, and more of a result that you're looking for. So speaking of foam rolling, <laughs> another hot topic, <laughs> the athlete who asked this, they just said yay or nay. <laughs> So what are your thoughts on foam rolling? Is it worth it? I personally like it when I'm strength training, but I don't, I don't really know why it just feels good. So is it doing anything? Should we do it? Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And I'm trying to remember like when foam rollers kind of hit the, like the eye of the public. Cause I don't, I don't remember when I was in college, like everyone talking about foam rollers, but maybe we did. That was a long time ago. Oh, we definitely I, had them when I was in college. Cause at the end of every strength session, we would foam roll. And that's when like the soccer or basketball players would come in. <laughs> oh, Hey, so that was a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, that stick, like the stick yes. roller thing. I've had that since college and college okay. for me was like, let's see, I started running on the team in 2010, I think. So yeah, same. Okay, so maybe they were around. I just remember yeah. I don't talking know about, about the public though. Yeah, or if they were like super popular to use. Um yeah. anyway, I I like using it for myself and I tell patients to foam roll. What what it is, what foam rolling is, again, let's like break down what this entity is and what it does. Mm -hmm. And then you can decide if it works for you or not. So foam rolling is a form of self myofascial release myofascial meaning muscle and fascia and fascia is the tissue that surrounds all of your muscles so mm -hmm. it's uh it's what it's a kind of slidey lubricated sort of tissue that um, surrounds all your muscle fibers so that as they contract they can slide over each other and and you can consider like some connected tissue to be fascia too so like tendons and things like that but anyway a foam roller is a myofascial releaser so what you're doing is just giving yourself a massage and we all think massages are nice and lovely and beneficial. Uh, but what you're doing in a foam with a foam roller is as you're kind of rolling out or massaging your tissues, you're increasing the localized temperature of the muscle. So you're warming it up a little bit, which will make it a little bit more pliable. There is a theory. This is maybe a hot topic, but there's a theory mm -hmm. that it's breaking up some fascial adhesion. So the fascia, like I talked about before, can get sticky. According to the series, so as it gets sticky, your muscles also can't slide and glide over each other very well. So then again, like their ability to move and be flexible is reduced. So if you foam roll, you're kind of breaking up some of that stuff. And so foam rolling has been found to like increase your flexibility, your joint range of motion, because your muscles are more flexible, increase body temperature. So it can be used as a warm up, or I should say localized muscle temperature because of the increased blood flow that it mm -hmm. promotes. So for those reasons, I say, yay, I say nay, when it's just too painful and mm -hmm. you don't like doing it. I say nay, if you have shoulder injuries. And I say that because a lot of the 
techniques for foam rolling, you have to hold yourself up by your arms. Yeah. So I actually have a few patients who have, they have a history of like rotator cuff tears and it hurts to like hold themselves oh. up. So it's like, well, why try to cure or treat one area and hurt another area of your body? It's just like not yeah. worth it. Um, so, so if it feels good, uh, I say hundred percent foam roll. Um, I tell people to, you know, if you want, if you're trying to figure out if it works for you or, or when to do it, sometimes it can be a nice thing to do before you run or before strength training or exercise. Cause again, it's going to help warm up tissues with some blood flow and getting some more flexibility. I think that that's, that's good too. Cause, uh, as you're starting to massage, it can, it's been shown in some research to kind of help mitigate muscle soreness. Hmm. So that's why people will sometimes do it after similarly to like active recovery or getting a massage, you're getting some of that kind of with through blood flow and everything to kind of help flush out a little bit of that muscle soreness. So it can help you feel less sore the next day. And most of the time I notice when I don't do it, particularly after like lunges, (laughs) (laughs) it's always my quads. If I don't roll them out, I'll notice the like I know we talked about this. I don't like saying feel tight, but they feel tight. <laughs> feel tight. Yeah. You know? But foam rolling seems to help. And then like, I always notice when I haven't done it, cause then the foam rolling hurts a little more and not in the, like I'm in pain way. It's like, huh, I should have been doing this <laughs> kind of way. It's a reminder, a painful yeah. reminder. And then it feels better. <laughs> yeah. And I get this question a lot, like should foam rolling hurt as much as it does? And it's a hard question to answer, but like it is there's some pain associated, just like a deep tissue massage. Like you're just Mm -hmm. getting really deep into some trigger points. So yes, there's going to be some pain involved and like, it probably will always feel some amount of uncomfortable. Not to Mm -hmm. say that it's always going to be as painful. Like you just said, it doesn't get as painful when you're consistent with it. Um, but, but it's, there's an amount of discomfort and that is okay. And it's okay to kind of work through it will get better. And it is helping to reduce, um, some of those trigger points and muscles. So foam roll, if you like it, Mm -hmm. if you don't, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good summary. (laughs) I feel like that's a good summary for most of the things we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So let's talk about another, I I don't know if these are a hot topic, but ice baths. Ooh, uh, I feel like they're kind of a hot topic. Well, it's like, I used to they are. Yeah. yeah. Totally a hot topic. And, you know, maybe if you, maybe if we got, had a panel of PTs, everyone would say something different. I would love your thoughts on it too. So please share um, what your thoughts on it, but I, it, don't, I, I don't really know. So I, what I've heard about it and why I think it's a hot topic is because I know that there's like two different running coaches. So my thought is kind of like everything else. It's like, if you try it and you feel like it works for you, then great. As long as you don't stay in the ice bath for too long and give yourself like frostbite, you know, <laughs> then sure. They're helpful. But like we were saying with foam rolling, if you hate getting in the ice bath, like maybe don't force yourself to do that. We did do it in, in college and I, I had to wear those little booties because my feet got too cold. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. I was a big wimp, but psychologically, I was like, this is doing wonders for me. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's funny you say that because there are some research articles out there that kind of compare it to a placebo. Mm -hmm. Um, And in those articles, it shows like no significant difference 
between the placebo and the um, cold immersion. So like, is it just, you feel like you're doing something good. So then it creates a good response. But if, if we break it down into what it like does physiologically, like what does ice do? Like why, like why sit in an ice bath versus sit in like something else? And really ice is a vasoconstrictor. This is like one of the big ideas behind it or theories behind it. So vasoconstriction means um, reducing the size of your blood vessels, if you will. So instead of opening them nice and wide, we constrict them with ice. And so when you constrict your blood vessels with ice, the theory in that, as it relates to like muscle recovery, is that you reduce like inflammatory pathways. So you constrict and you reduce the flow of like inflammatory markers to build up in your muscles or build up in your tendons tendons and things like that. And the inflammatory stuff is what makes us feel sore. And so, no, that sounds about right. So in that temperature too, it's been shown um, to have analgesic effects, which that's a fancy word for like pain reduction. So uh, again, like if, if a workout or post-workout, you're having any sort of aches and pains after that, it can mitigate some of the pain that you're feeling then or later. Yeah. So so physiologically, those are kind of the theories of what ice and ice immersion is at those temperatures for a period of time. But it really is interesting how just like all over the board, the research is like some researchers like, yes, this works, this reduces yeah. muscle soreness, go for it. Other articles are like, nah, it, there's no difference. There's no difference than like you maybe sitting in like a pool of jello, like whatever. <laughs> there's no different. So if, if, if it's safe for you to do, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you talk to your doctors, make sure sitting in a bunch of ice is safe, then you could try it. And if it reduces some aches and pains, some people think it feels really good. And there has, there's been some interesting articles about like the neurologic effects too, or like the neuromuscular system also. And I can't remember what those people had said, but it wasn't in relation to sport. It was like in relation to other diagnoses, like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or kind of neuromuscular kind of stuff. And that it was helpful for those things, which is interesting, but yeah, for muscle, for, as it relates to like running and sport performance, it really is all over the board. So I don't think anyone should feel like they have to do it or they Mm -hmm. should be doing it. There's all sorts of ways that you can mitigate soreness like foam rolling. (laughs) Yeah. Much easier than an ice bath. So I will say out here in Colorado, we're a little spoiled because I, sometimes I choose a trail that ends next to a Creek just so I can put my feet in afterwards. Yes. It's nice and cold. Yes. Nature's yeah. That's path. a great idea. <laughs> that's a great idea. There was a, a race I helped at once where the race ended by a Creek and like, instead of all the runners hanging out by the food in the tents, everybody was in the Creek. <laughs> oh, I bet. I would yeah. be too. <laughs> yeah. Same, same, but, but that makes sense. Like it does help reduce again, like any sort of inflammation or swelling or pain associated like after a workout. So it can definitely help you feel good and be able to like walk afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Walking is important. <laughs> cool. I think that'll be really helpful, especially for, there's just so much confusing uh, information out there. Like we were saying earlier, it's always like, this is good. This is bad. And deciding for yourself is really what you need to do. <laughs> Yeah. And really like, it's not like trying, it's going to be harmful. So yeah, if you're really unsure, you're just like, I'm just going to try it and see what it, see what it does. Yeah. It's totally safe to do so. I would, I would, for the first time, I've never done an ice bath. I'm not sure if I ever will just because like, 
oh, I'm a weenie. But, you know, maybe you just start with like a couple minutes because it's hard to sit in there for it a long is. time. Yeah. The first couple of minutes are the worst couple minutes. Yeah. Until you go numb. Yeah. <laughs> Takes like five minutes and then you're like, okay, I could sit here for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the longest you've ice bathed? Mm, I don't remember. I want to say we had like 10 minute timers. So not super long. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say it's usually like five, 10 minutes. I feel like. For most yeah. Time. No, those first two minutes, I would always look at my watch and be like, how has it only been a minute? <laughs> like guys, can I get out now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was only putting like up to my knees in. Cause it was always my feet that hurt, which makes sense to you seeing me <laughs> these past few months, <laughs> but other people would get in up to like their shoulders. I'm oh, like, how? I, I don't know. I would not, <laughs> but oh. Hey, you do you. Yeah. That's not my favorite recovery method, but it is one. <laughs> is it one you can choose. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but one more question from one of my athletes about heel lifts. So this is very specific to her, but I'm sure it applies to someone else, at least one person listening. So she has one leg that is shorter than the other. And she wears a heel lift that's about a quarter of an inch because she was told she would have hip problems later if she didn't wear it. But wearing it, she still has hip pain and she gets mixed messages on whether she should wear the heel lift or not. So She's curious what your thoughts are. Obviously, without seeing her individually, it's hard to say, but have you had experience with heel lifts? I know we've talked about insoles, which are similar to heel lifts. I love this question. And it actually is another hot topic, I think, because of the whole like leg length discrepancy basis of it. So for her, yeah, it would be really interesting. Some people do have true leg length discrepancies, but as they do more and more research on it, most people do. Most people have a very, very small, like, yeah, we're all asymmetrical in a way. Like most people do not have even leg lengths and it's just so minute that we don't really notice it or it doesn't really affect our day to day or um, how we move. Like I I found one research article that was, that had the sample size was ginormous and it was like 90% had a leg length discrepancy and as small as like a millimeter, but it was a discrepancy. And so what that article found and a couple of others that I'd found too, or I've read in the past is really like anything less than even like half of an inch. And, and again, it depends on the person, but you know, if it's, if it's less than that or less than two centimeters, I think two centimeters, which maybe is more than half of an inch, but there were a couple of articles I found that had commented on two centimeters that it really didn't make a huge difference for people. It wasn't like a clinically significant amount to make a lot of difference from, from a movement perspective. And so what more so happens is like, maybe there's a leg length discrepancy because of something happening up the chain. And so there's another theory that like people's hips are not aligned. I'm not sure where I sit on that fence either, to be honest, but there is a method that you can perform on somebody that will change this leg length that you think that there is because of a hip alignment. And sometimes it changes and sometimes they feel much better. Great. Sometimes (laughs) I can't explain that, but when it, when it works, I'm not going to (laughs) argue because they feel better. And that's really all I care about. But yeah, I heel lifts are interesting, especially when you put them on just one side, I also have a patient with a very significant leg length discrepancy. And this person has to have a, like a a shoe wedge or a heel lift Mm -hmm. because it's so significant that it's causing 
it is causing back pain or dysfunction in the way his hips move and stuff like that. And so that's when it is, does become very helpful. But for most people, if it's a really, really small discrepancy, it's not really going to, it's not really going to change things long-term. Sometimes where I find heel lifts and like insoles to be really helpful is reducing impact and force, if you will, through a tendon or through a part of the body that's just really angry. So like insoles are really great for things like plantar fasciitis or posterior tibialis tendonitis or Achilles tendonitis, where you want someone to still be able to like walk or tolerate running, but you take off some of that load through an insole or a heel lift. And so when it's really inflamed, or when there's some dysfunction, you can put those in and it will feel a lot better. It will reduce the pain. It will reduce load so that now this person can tolerate exercising on it or doing the things that is needed to enhance it or cure it, I guess. And then you slowly wean somebody out of them so that, okay, like now that you're stronger, now we take them out. It's kind of similar to any sort of like brace or, you know, situation like that. It's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a temporary assistance or bandaid. It's kind of like bandaid. It's like temporary assistance. Um, to reduce load and then you slowly wean out. And that's interesting because as we've talked about before off the podcast, a lot of us were just given insoles because our feet looked a certain way back in the day (laughs) or our gait looked a certain way versus like you've been running without the insole and something hurts now or you have plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis and then we were never weaned off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And as, especially as you get stronger, like the way you support your foot and the, even sometimes, sometimes like the structure of your foot changes because that's the goal of strengthening it, you know, or, well, I should say mostly for people who like maybe are flat footed or they overpronate and no one can Uh want to see me, but I'm giving big air quotes (laughs) (laughs) because the goal is to strengthen that, you know, so that whatever shape your foot is, it can function properly. And so you shouldn't really need the insert long-term again, there's, there's cases where that changes. Like if someone does have a structural deformity or, or whatever to where, like they do just need an insole mm-hmm. semi-permanently to function, or like they do need a heel lift on one side because they do have a significant discrepancy that's causing some pain. I will say too, for the athlete that asked this question, there is a period of time where you have to adjust to a heel lift or an insole. And so even if you put it in and something is still hurting, sometimes that's normal because your body is like adjusting to this whole new alignment and that is okay. It's short-lived and it should be short-lived. If mm-hmm. there's still issues like weeks down the road, then like, all right, maybe it's not helping. And there's something else causing the pain than uh, like, like discrepancy. But yeah, most of the time, in my opinion, they're not the end all be all with this information. She'll be able to better assess. I hope, she should it's, wear helpful. I hope it's helpful. Whoever you are out there. <laughs> I, I really think, cause you had sent me this question. I think you had put in there that the person has like a quarter of an inch. And mm-hmm. to me, that's like so small. I am hesitant to say that it's actually what's causing some of the pain, but it, like, like you said before, it's hard for me to know without seeing the person Yeah, in person. Yeah. But most of the time, again, like heel lifts and insoles, aren't, aren't something I want someone to stay in long-term because we want your foot and your body to be able to do what it needs to do to support, Mm -hmm. support your foot. And, and the whole, like one leg shorter than the other is such a hot topic. It really is like, (laughs) is one leg shorter? Is your hip rotated backwards than the other hip? It's just such an interesting discussion. And like we've said with most things in this podcast, 
I, I don't think I'll ever say like, this is always true, or this is never true, or this, yeah. whatever. It's like, maybe it's true for one person. And as a PT and healthcare provider, I have to like, keep that in the back of my head that the person in front of me could be the one person that it's true for. I always have to keep that in mind. That was a rant. I hope that it <laughs> <answer> was helpful. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be helpful. These have all been really good questions. Really, really. I know. Perfect. So, well, I guess with that, where can everyone find you if they do have follow-up questions and to just follow your amazing Instagram posts? Well, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, people can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm at Boulder Sports Physio, P-H-Y-S-I-O. That's the name of my business, but um, Boulder Sports Physio. So you can send me a message on Instagram. That's also my email, bouldersportsphysio at gmail.com. People can always send me emails. There's also like on my website, which is again, the same bouldersportsphysio.com. There's a contact us page, contact me. You can leave a message on there too. And I, I tell everybody like, no matter who you are, where you are, never hesitate to just like ask a question. I'll do my best to answer. Unfortunately, as PT license work, I can only treat people if they're in Colorado because I have a Colorado license. Yep. So I'll do my best to help or point you in the right direction. I'm always happy to be a resource. And the, I appreciate the questions because then it helps me figure out like what I should post on Instagram. There's so many mm-hmm. days where I'm like, oh, I don't know what to post. What do people care about? <laughs> but the questions are helpful. So I'm like, oh, that's a post. Okie dokie. <laughs> yeah, it's so helpful. But yeah, if you are in or near Boulder and you need a physical therapist, please go see Sarah. Highly recommend her. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, yeah. Kelly. This was so fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had such a good time. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have more questions or just maybe some rabbit holes that we'll have to do on a separate <laughs> podcast. We never talked about the MOBO board, so. <laughs> <laughs> a MOBO board episode. <laughs> We could have a whole episode. I feel like if we did that, we should do it in person and also post the video for exercise. That's not a bad idea for people to follow along. I like that. Yeah. The mobile board is one of my favorite purchases I've ever made with running. I'm so happy to hear you say that. It's so helpful. It's so helpful. And I've actually been using it for like so many things, even my non-running patients, like it's a it's a wicked cool board and and they're uh they're not that they're like an easy thing to to purchase and have in like your home toolbox of injury prevention or strength training things I should say not injury prevention (laughs) yeah and for anyone who doesn't know a mobile board is basically a circular balance board with fins so you can change the orientation and then there's a cutout for four of your toes that are not your big toe so that it really emphasizes using your big toe to move your foot, not using all of your other toes. Yeah. It's very much designed for running mechanics and mm-hmm. glute activation, which I know we're all after. <laughs> Thanks again, Kelly, for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them. It helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message. And if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Coaching Klutz. You can also find me at my website, coachingklutz.com, if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs. And I will talk to you all next time.